Welcome to the Spatial Reality Podcast, your resource for authentic conversations about spatial computing technologies. I'm Sean Higgins, your host. Every few weeks, I'll interview an expert to learn how this technology is changing a huge variety of fields and industries, and to figure out what we can do to prepare for what's next. Today, our guest is Ash Richter, an internet friend of mine who I've been meaning to interview for a few years. Ash currently works for BHP, a multinational Australian mining company, where she focuses on the application of innovative and emerging technologies. But this is just her latest gig. She also has half a dozen advanced degrees and deep experience as a technologist, VC, anthropologist, engineer, and even a business analyst. She's done work for AECOM, the CIA, SciArc, the Vatican, and a lot more. So hi, Ash. Welcome. And let's dive right in. I like to I like to start these interviews often by asking, you know, what does the term spatial computing mean to you? Does it mean anything? Is it a useful term? Uh, it seems to mean so many things to so many different people. I think it's a better term than the metaverse. It's just let's just put that on the table. But I do think it is yet another in a long term of the buzzy words to try to describe a more interesting phenomenon. Whenever we give one of these buzzwords to sort of mass digitization conversation, it actually ends up being off a little piece of it. And then everybody gets so dug in on that one little corner. But now we've left 75% of what we were talking about on the table. And unfortunately, right now we're in that phase where for spatial computing with the metaverse just booming so much more than spatial computing was over the last couple of years. And suddenly everybody's a metaverse expert. It's really, where have you been for all this time? Hi, it's nice to meet you. Welcome to the party. Let's hang out. What do you have to say about this? Oh, just what Meta put in their in their news briefs? Thanks. But I would argue it's creating a bit of a divide because I think a lot of the metaverse conversations these days are lacking in much more of the geospatial components and the 3D imaging components. And that is what I think the one utility of spatial computing as a term hinted at, even though I think we probably could have come up with something that didn't conflict as much with other forms of spatial data analysis or space in general. Like it, as, in terms of being a searchable keyword, it needs some really strong semantic stuff surrounding it for it to really pop. If you're like even looking in some of the competitive intelligence tools that businesses have to dig through these things. So I think we did need something distinctive, but at the same time, I do think it was a better term. But I started my career super 3D imaging-tastic, and so I'm very much biased in terms of that's the base data, as opposed to the playability layers. I think we need to sort out the board game before we sort out what we're playing on it. They need to go hand in hand, but you can't leave the board game out. If, If this is something that you've been thinking about for a while, is do you have any ideas for what other sort of terminology might be more useful to describe what we're talking, or is it or is it still such a nebulous idea right now that we're working through that the terminology will come afterward? I think it will. I think we'll definitely get something afterwards. I think we've had some real zingers along the way that I'm glad we've moved even farther away from, like near world in the '90s, especially to, and I'm gonna go with like muggles outside of the space. It was like what? I think there's some older pieces of terminology that are really interesting that don't actually describe the spatial component of of at least the far, what I view as the far end of the metaverse, where the physical and digital landscapes fully digitized, 
because spatial computing, or at least that's the piece that it's relegated to right now in the larger buzzword conversations around metaverse. And all of these activity-based intelligence layers are free-flowing throughout those. You going about your general business have all the augmented reality layers because they're mapped for the virtual realm. Unfortunately, that virtual realm is getting far more play these days, although I would argue it's kind of the fluff. But sometimes the fluff is we need that toy to be the thing that pushes along technology. There was a term for, it was actually a cross between an early description of the internet and some early concept of could humanity evolve to actually have a hive mind, but it was the oversoul. It, in the 1920s, this was part of the conversation when folks were just kind of poking along the edges of, if only we had something that we would now, looking back at those texts, we would actually be, oh, that's like the, our internet. But even the descriptions they're giving then are not quite the whole shebang. Um, and I, I do think that's something that's really interesting that's happening right now with respect to spatial computing, the metaverse, all these pieces. The geospatial community has been talking about this for a long time. And in the 90s, there was such a huge buzz over, could we do this? Could we build this? Let's do this. All those famous anecdotes of Al Gore created the internet, like those memes, that was actually part of his conversation, his dialogue. There were active geospatial conferences about that. And then for the Western world, when Google Earth came out, everyone was like, we can view all the maps, we have all the data. And a chunk of the world was like, yeah, they were, we were like, done. Funding dried up for a lot of these things. Everyone decided geospatial was dead. Venture funding into these arenas went out. It's only lately that other VC firms are like, hey, wait, can you come explain to me what geospatial and spatial computing even are? How do I know what I should be investing in? Should I be investing in them? That's yes, because there's so much R&D still needed to put into these spaces. But people are very wary of it because they think the box has been checked. That said, it's a very Western convention to think that Meanwhile, China in particular, this is something I was hoping we could, I could flip in somehow. So I'm just going to flip it at the beginning. It is the metaverse spatial community. It becomes this national security issue, almost this geopolitical power play, because where the West was like, check, we don't need this anymore. China kept going with those conversations. So all the world conferences devoted to those concepts in the 90s moved to Beijing. And they've been having them ever since and pulling in more and more scholars tying it together with smart cities pieces, putting active, really focused money into the combination of geospatial mixed reality and um, education, smart, like this giant, beautiful combo pack, as if we didn't get the whole puzzle, we want the whole puzzle. And everyone else is like, we have pieces. It's not enough, but it's going to be a power play going forward. Who has all the data at their fingertips and what they do with it? So all of that's what computing means to me. You know, talking about this combination of uh, geospatial and technologies like AR, VR, XR, you know, whatever acronym soup you prefer to use, right? Like, what are what are we leaving on the table then by saying Google Maps is enough? We have maps we can get from point A to point B. I think for me, the most exciting piece of of what is possible and what we see snippets of with Google Maps is the annotation and the direction. We call it augmented reality, but lately that term really specifically means like, ooh, I have a phone app and I can see this other little cartoon, I can hunt Pokemon through this. But there's so many different forms of augmented reality that humanity has already come up with through time. Art, street science, all of these ways to label, to describe, to visualize the world around us. Even you could argue mapping itself is a form of augmented reality because we're trying to explain it. We're trying to pass that information to somebody. So that when they look at the landscape, they don't just see what they're seeing. It fits into this larger context of, oh, okay, that's 
that and I'm weirdly like picturing I'm picturing what I wish I could send you right now of the beach down the road and the cliff face down that way and where that fits on the map in relation to where I am to where you are like it's all this compounded information and we have the capacity to do that in even greater depths now and not just in terms of companies like Weiwei like augmenting the glass for cars and putting in different directional features and different pieces of information oh hey are you like have you seen some of their demo videos there, there's some glorious stuff going on there, super Russian stuff, but glorious stuff where it's not just here's where we're headed and some games to play along the way. It's also, hey, here's this event happening. Or, oh, are you wondering what that castle on the hill is as you drive through Scotland? Here's some information about it. It's open during these hours and you're starting to get a snippet of what's possible. But now imagine at an even more granular level where you're walking on a trail and you literally have some sort of contact lens or some other form of even brain computer interface neural net that's there and you are immediately identifying everything you walk past right like in a video game almost you can kind of hover and be like what is that do i want that do i collect that do i photograph like it's all of that capacity that's possible but to do that we need a machine readable world which means we need a mapped world and once you have that those three pieces then you have an interactive world to play all, all the games you want on then you have all of these other different levels of enterprise businesses, startups, huge communities that are possible around all of these different forms of of data. But right now, we tend to focus either on those gaming layers or on the very much base mapping layers. And I want to see the smackdown. And for a couple of years there, it felt like spatial computing was heading that way. Companies like Pixelate and Phantasmo, like they were out there being startups in this space, like, hey, we can put together the multi-model maps of the world and do something. And then they've been folded up into other entities. And so I'm waiting, being like, okay, come on, big tech companies, which of you is actually going to pop this first? One of you has to. You've bought all the people. Based on what I've seen historically with the application of this sort of technology, is it possible that it'll get a foothold in enterprise applications first, or maybe end up staying there and not really make it out to the consumer world in the way that we that we hope it would? How do you see that developing? I'm of two minds of this because part of me is hoping we already went through that and we've checked we've checked a certain box there because we had a lot of those early air applications really roll out with for heavy industry oil rigs kind of it rose it stayed really out of the consumer mindset in many ways to the point that I think some people in in even the really mainstream mixed reality community today are very much unaware that people folks have been doing that for a while but then at the same time many of them are very much unaware of point clouds and laser scanners and, and what's even possible there like i i hosted a, a conference once for a lot of government and industry leads in this related space and i had cyarch the point cloud archive come out and speak because i love i love them like they, i got my I, I worked with them a bajillion years ago when they were first starting and it's just been so exciting to see them continue on and grow and build out the heritage data sets and kind of push forward the value of these kind of levels of data for what's possible there. The folks that they were talking, like 80% of the audience was like, cool, did you just make this? And they had to be like, no, we've been like 12, this is like 12 years. We've been collecting this and scanners have been around since the seventies. Did you guys not know this? Yes, we have 3D data. We have the capacity to do all these things. These tools exist. It's like we have all of the puzzle pieces, but nobody they're just not getting clicked together for a variety of cultural and financial reasons at least that's how it feels like to me yeah so 
you know, often when I talk to people about these sorts of things, people will, will say the problem isn't technological, it's cultural. And it sounds like you might agree, but you would go a step further and say it's a problem of information sharing. All the component technologies, all of the information is there. If people just spoke to each other about these sorts of things, then we may be capable of a lot more right now. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a huge issue not just for this particular technology kind of combo pack, but ac across the board with different silos and different types of industries. One, not talking to each other, either solely focusing on themselves and their own competitors or not talking to government or not talking to academia. Everyone's in their own little bubble. And on top of that, they don't really have any super incentives to reach out of that bubble unless there's something shaking them up for some reason. And then you cross-reference that with essentially the way research and development funding goes these days, but the way commercialization funding goes these days and venture capital goes these days, you have a lot more interest in short-term return on investment plays. So widgets and enterprise apps, SaaS plays, as opposed to foundational multimodal data platforms that will actually shake things up. Um, and even if you do get one of those, it'll be buried so deep within the architecture, engineering, construction, within the AC, I've seen some amazing software pop up in heritage space over the years. There's some mining, like everybody, mining pieces, the autonomous vehicle systems, smart cities. Everybody has their own piece of this puzzle and software under development or actually being used that does something cool that's related to this. But nobody ever goes the next step or connects to the other places and really turns to what it could be. So let's let's say I'm I'm like an individual business. Let's say even at the level of I don't know, I oversee a factory and I'm interested in this sort of technology. Is this sort of challenge of information sharing, am I able to overcome this myself or is this something that needs to happen more broadly? If I can overcome this, how? I think both are possible. I think we could be doing a lot more to pull together large scale conversations with, with industry players that aren't the influencers in this space. I think right now it's a lot of everybody in spatial computing and the metaverse, we talk to ourselves or we might be on somebody's, this company might lean into it in five or 10 years. They know it's a buzzy thing, but they aren't comfortable yet with exactly what it is. They're still working on digital twins 1.0, let alone what could it be called like digital twins 80.0 if you get everything actually working together. Um, but then at the same time, that's some amazing folks who have coming from being like the general manager or um, facility manager of a singular position, being like, I know this is a thing and I know it's not ready yet, but could we pilot towards this? What could we do to start cleaning up our data sets or collecting relevant data sets so that we're ready for when this happens? And I've been fortunate enough to work with a couple of those particular types of projects. And it's that's ranged from literally the Vatican which, I mean, you never expect them to be super high-tech, but they are super high-tech, my friend. And they own a huge chunk of the world's properties and are very invested in maintaining cultural heritage properties and things like that. They want multimodal systems. They want these data sets together so that everyone from the maintenance crew through to curators, through to tourists, through to churchgoers can add their information into these giant sort of spatial, engageable combo packs through to the work that I just left in DC working for the all the three letter agencies for the CIA and FBI and NSA, they know it's coming, but it's still a very hesitant engagement. It's still pockets of excellence as opposed to an entire banquet of. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. 
So it sounds like the thing to do, if I if I read into what you just said a little bit, the thing to do is maybe prepare, know that this is coming, and then ask yourself how you can make yourself ready for it, rather than say, I'm going to hire a VP of Metaverse, and then, you know, like, I read this article in Forbes, we need a VP of Metaverse, I'm going to hire one. Maybe start thinking about uh, possible applications, reading more broadly, uh, preparing your data sets so that when this thing when this thing happens in earnest, you'll be ready and you'll know when to act. I think very much. I think if everybody is sorting out not only what informa- what inf- data sets they already have in terms of spatial capture, in terms of let's talk about like facilities or plants or things like that in terms of operations and maintenance stuff. Some of those pieces are just starting to go from asset management systems into digital. Even that's rarely agnostic enough to even cover facility one and facility two, both seeing the same trends across each other, let alone those up here and then up here. So I think it's a way to also enter the conversation because if you're actually looking at what you have and identifying where things will be and therefore what you don't have in the gap between, it sets not only your own trajectory for what to do, but also becomes a conversation itself with a larger industry that everybody couldn't should be having of what haven't we been aggregating and collecting or, or usefully storing. Like that's the big thing. Our point clouds are all over the place. Our photogrammetry data, it's all over the place. There's handfuls of the sort of SFM data in things like Sketchfab. And I say handfuls because that's, it's the tip of the iceberg in terms of how much 3D data has been collected over the last what are we at, 50, 50, what, 1970 Cyrex, the first laser scanner? And that's not even considering general photogrammetry. Like, we can go back to the 20s of active specific data capture for photogrammetric purposes in aerial systems. We were getting that just after the First World War. They started realizing, oh, we could do this. Can we do this deliberately? Yes, we can. But on the hiring note, this is something that's really scaring me lately because Rather than do the things we just talked about, everybody immediately hires. It's like, we need a whole new position for this. Let's find somebody. And I've been, and this is very loosely tracked data, so bear with me because I'm not ready to publish on it yet. But I, I have been hiring that about it because one of the things I was noticing was that um, already in amongst the sort of competing community, it was some amazing folks, some amazing women that weren't getting hired as these metaverse roles. And so I was like, well, who is getting these roles? And so I've been tracking that and a pro- at least at my current data capture, which again, not entirely inclusive. It's mostly whenever I see a new company has put somebody up there or there's a panel situation, like I captured that. But so of the, I think I'm, I'm not even sure what how many I have in that spreadsheet right now, but it's over 80% are younger white males who have no actual experience in any of the sub-industries that I would say are the ones that actually contribute to the metaverse and spatial computing, no geospatial background, no even traditional mixed reality background, no gaming background, no smart cities background, none of these things. In many cases, it's program managers or advertising, which I'll give you, there's some advertising crossover, but not for the creation of the system. This is, that's an end piece of the system. So I think if that's who we're hiring out there, not just those who haven't been in the conversation very long, but also specifically those mindsets. It means the metaverse very much crafted by that mind, that uninformed mindset. So there's a lot of recreating the wheel, a lot of, of parroting of things. Like I've been in a couple of panels lately where, and I am going to throw meta under the bus because meta, Facebook could be 
the coolest thing with respect to spatial computing. And they've gone in the entirely like laughably wrong direction. I have a blog somewhere because I talked to them a bajillion years ago. After I came out of grad school, they'd, they'd spoken with me about coming over. And I was like, we could do all these things. And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. But then it got so weird that they didn't understand what I was talking about that I was like, I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. instead and do these other things with the government. But I, I feel like they, they must have been having these conversations for so long to not lean into their photo systems, their archiving systems, their networking systems, to actively take the funding away from those units and throw it at the cartoon avatar end of things. <sighs> it hurts my soul. We could be so much farther faster if they'd gone after activity-based intelligence and mapping spaces instead of that end. That said, I do love my quest, but still. So it sounds like your advice might be, not to belabor the point too much, but you know what we need is less focus on fantastical applications and a bit more focus on the actual nuts and bolts of making this happen within any given industry or more broadly. Yeah, the pieces are there. It's just a matter of Again, I'm, I think I'm just going to repeat that puzzle metaphor over and over again. But I think, unfortunately, what this hiring trend has meant is another trough of disillusionment for this space. And did you see the McKinsey report from about a month or two ago? It basically, it sounds like an abridged version of subsections of Matthew Ball's article on the economy of the metaverse, which very much focuses more on here's where everyone will be making money because look at these gamification components. And so that really has attracted a lot of people's interest to the space, right? Because it crosses over with some of the other busy trend words of the space as NFTs, Web 3.0, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, those are pieces, th those are the wrapping paper and it leaves out everything inside the present. And so where Matthew Ball, that article is great in its own right, for that coverage of that part of the topic. It's not a comprehensive conversation about the metaverse, let alone spatial computing. I don't even think he mentioned spatial computing specifically once in there, does he? Um, and I, I haven't gotten a copy of his new book yet to, to fully gauge where else he's taking it yet. But the McKinsey report, basically, it's like they took three paragraphs from that about the economy space, about the gamification, and then cross-referenced that with, with Facebook's advertising of, it'll be everyone working in VR, and it's not. So like let's let's offer a corrective to this at some level then you know is are you able to talk about any of the the research or the work that you're doing currently for for actual like applied usage of this sort of technology I yes and no my current stuff focuses more on a little bit more just general innovation evangelism how much we need to shift processes in order to get to that bit where we can clean up the data that's been my day to day for the last couple of months unfortunately um, although fortunately, I kind of it's it's kind of neat getting to look at the macro problem as well as that cultural problem of why aren't we? Um, but I can speak with reference to some of the the previous projects. Some of my recent work uh, as, as venture strategy lead in this space for Incatel, the CIA's investment arm, was looking at very much not just which companies we should be investing in in this space on behalf of of the U.S. intelligence community and defense community as well as their partners in in, in the U.K. and Australia, but also specifically how to get them to those companies and the agencies to work together. And so design programs around that. I can't give you the details of those programs. Some of the investments are quite public. And so you can kind of see glimmers of that at least. So for instance, some of the investments that and programs I 
this author where things like getting everybody to work with the latest iteration of, of Matterport, not necessarily in the CAPTCHA systems, but on information pieces. What do you do with all of that computer vision, 3D beautifulness? Um, or for instance, another favorite of mine is this Australian company called Willow, who is sort of an agnostic multi-layer to um, asset management system. So it's that uptaking of the digital twin piece so that things actually talk to each other. So you could have, here are all of my hotels all over the world. Here's how they're doing. It's getting you almost to that 3D blueprint space and things like that. So pulling in companies like that and encouraging them to talk to each other as well as to the, the government. I'm trying to think. It's been a long time since I built these systems though, but even then, that the work there for different stakeholders abroad was really interesting conversations with this is the Vatican groups or a couple of different, the Jordanians, what is possible and where would this lead? And then working with them as stakeholders to sort of take it in different directions. So I kind of already described where the Vatican wanted to take it. The Jordanian royals had wanted to really focus on education pieces and what could this turn into in terms of not just necessarily towards the matters, but also specifically like how does everybody engage with the past? And what does that mean for them to have 3D data at the ancient site, as well as of modern infrastructure and planning and things like that? Like, how could you how could you kind of roll those together? So I guess I guess to sum up, if I'm if I'm a you know, if I'm the head of a facility or I run a company, it seems like your recommendation would be look at what's possible, look at what I need, look at what my goals are, look at where my data is currently, and then try to try to figure out what to do from there. And in so doing, I would be in pretty good company. And, and I, think you have, I think everybody has to be super pragmatic about it, because I do think one of the things I see, especially amongst the Fortune 500 companies, is a lot of bluster, a lot of data strategy that doesn't actually go anywhere except for maybe refine your spreadsheet. It's still a matter of if you want this piece of information, you have to track down this person and this person to get it out of their email, as opposed to this base piece of information is searchable, let alone ask yourself, okay, where's the 3D copy of this building? How do I know when something happened to this space most recently? Is that a maintenance ticket somewhere? Is that a security camera footage, piece of security camera footage? Think about it like a surveillance operation almost. How would you get your hands on, on, on that information if you needed to infiltrate your own facility? I always play this horrible game when I'm in museums where I'm just like, what data are you collecting? What, where are your gaps? And just doing, I can't stop myself from doing that kind of threat analysis of like, how easy would it be to get in? That's, that's also some of the, the work I was doing. I was looking at where all these pieces of information were because often they're not in the company or government agency's hands anymore. The contractors that built the facility have all of this other data that you don't even have a copy of. So if you want to actually look at the history of your physical space, chances are you can't even find somebody in your own organization who has that information, let alone if you are renting in a big building, but you want that information to cross-reference into a system, you're building of interactivity layers on top of it. It's everywhere. It's sprinkled in different places. It's weirdly accessible sometimes just by doing a lot of deep searching. I used to have a team of research interns who, that's what I had them doing for a bit was doing, could we find out this information about this facility? And it was, we did it in an effort to essentially scare everybody into putting money into this space and to actually pay attention to their systems. And then funny enough, to us doing that, there was a TV show called Pine Gap about the facility here in Australia and how somebody hacked into their air conditioning units. And then there was, I'm forgetting what the other thing, it was something, 
it was The Rock in a hotel in Singapore. And it was this movie that had this, it used the 3D data to show where they were going and the elevator systems and stuff like that. And everyone was like, could, can we do this? Like, what is this? How would we build this? It's like, all of that information, if you aggregated that, that is possible. But we've let all the pieces loose. So you, everybody who goes into this, they need to be very pragmatic and not necessarily just be okay with everyone being like, yeah, yeah, we know where all of our information is. Because bullshit, to be perfectly honest. They don't. I've yet to see a single entity that actually has its hands, its grip on any of that, let alone, to be perfectly honest, a piece of software that would actually let them do that. So it's a dual-sided problem. They don't necessarily have anywhere to put it, even if they do collate it. Well, that's a. I think that's a good place to uh, to ask. I always, I like to start and end the interviews in the same way. The way I like to end is by saying, uh, "Is there anything I didn't ask you about that we should be talking about? Anything that people don't ask you about, or that you think isn't getting enough coverage more broadly?" There's three three things I like to harp on when I get the chance that, and it doesn't usually come up very often. One of them I already touched on with respect to the possible sort of space race vibe, the early space race vibe that this arena has in terms of data. The other is that is the why that matters, because this is surveillance data. Any mapping data is surveillance data. Any information about where people are going and how they're interacting with the environment, be it them playing a game or or all of the systems in our houses pay attention to us so that they can optimize our life experience. It's all surveillance data. And that's why it is a national security. It's not just national security, it's because other nations beyond the Western ones are doing things about it and we're trying to play catch up. It's it's because it's that kind of data and it's that important, especially in a world right now where we're very focused on data privacy. Although at the same time, I would argue that privacy is a very modern concept. Like in terms of us all living in villages, you knew everybody. You knew everything about everybody. There's nothing you didn't know. So our sense of privacy right now in this century is actually a very big outlier. And to be perfectly honest, it would be much safer if we actually did all know more about each other. The problem is that will immediately get misused. And I'll, I, I would like to send everybody to the work of Nick Bostrom on this at the Cambridge Institute of the Future. He has this great piece that kind of focuses on there's very few ways out world crises right now. One of them is to lean into mass digitization surveillance data and that it will go very poorly, very quickly. But it has the best chance of us pinging out of that dystopian trough and that the best scenario of the very not amazing scenarios that are facing us. So I do urge everybody to kind of think of this as it is surveillance data. It is there's a lot of ethics pieces involved in that. There's a conversations already going on with data privacy that the spatial computing groups, the geospatial community groups aren't in. And there's also a lot of even within the geospatial community, there's so many divides on who and where can even see what kind of data for what purpose. We're moving very quickly to a realm where insurance companies can more quickly see the information about a disaster aftermath than the government entities who are sent out to to utilize it. There was a big thing in the was it NGAC, in the National Geospatial Advisory Committee, the first year of COVID, the, the digital meetings they had there. One of them, literally, there was like a 45-minute panic because somebody had put forth the reality that in some situations, Beyond zip code, FEMA can't see certain levels of data. So you, you're like, hey, I'm in trouble. I'm in and all they can know about you is your zip code. And it's like, that's not helpful at all, like at all. But yet there are some really interesting compromises with respect to data privacy and who has what piece of information and what flows. 
that are being trialed on the Native American reservations in the U.S. because there's actually different geospatial bodies set up that govern what can be done there. And they're building some far more interesting things than the rest of the U.S. is, to be perfectly honest, in, in a very cool way because it's much more of an environmental focus. It's much more of a social focus on what these data sets could be aggregated to do and less so for the sort of more... Like I said, the insurance companies, the financial organizations are the ones leading the pack for the rest of Western data in many of these sense. They're the ones who want to know where everything is and how it's doing because they make the good monies off of it. This is where I think it's really important that we pay spatial computing community and metaverse community pays attention to the economists and international relations folks right now because these are conversations they're having about the future of capitalism and how much it isn't working and what would replace it how much nation states, these concepts of lines drawn on a map, aren't necessarily the, the unit that makes the most sense in a global economy anymore. So what could be changed for these things to happen? And their answer is inevitably something around the land, uh, the concept of data flow, data aggregation, data, like being able to actually pull information from that. And not just in the way we're doing now, where it's cold and unreadable, but where it's easily translatable between people and be can become something else. So I think those are things that those are pieces of the puzzle that often get left out. And they're always really excited to have folks from our spaces come have these conversations with them. But I rarely see them being invited the other way. Again, because we're talking to ourselves. And I think that's dangerous. We need to break down those interdisciplinary boundaries, those inner silo boundaries. And we need to go back to having global conversations about this, especially given exactly what's at stake here. Like we have six extinction events on the horizon for our species. We do not have a really great outlook, to be perfectly honest, if we continue the way things are. But if we actually do some like grand session and actual strategy planning and pull together a data set, this is where we need to lean in heavily to Isaac Asimov's psychohistory. Horrible term. I, I, I prefer clear dynamics or if we're going to call it futurism or what have you. But we need to look at all of the data that's come before as our big data for actually understanding how things work and how variables shift. And if we could actually create a full on living, moving replica of everything we're doing at any given time, if everybody is constantly in a machine readable world, that's the kind of data we would need in order to actually project future trajectories and run Monte Carlo simulations. But at the point we're at right now, even even Earth modeling is struggling. And this is where, for instance, more R&D money needs to go towards a combo pack of supercomputers and gaming engines. Get, these things need to be even bigger than they are. And they need to, again, be part of the conversation. Though granted, game engines are always part of the conversation. And I'm so excited to see even what the two big major players are doing. Like the movements in 3D capture. I don't think they're talking to enough archaeologists and heritage folks who've been scanning all of those historic buildings for decades upon time. So I do urge them to definitely go meet the people that have already been collecting those data sets and to recycle the data sets, use them to timestamp. Because I do think at least a lot of the hires I've seen in that space lately are not necessarily aware or coming from a space that would be aware of the other 3D capture industries that have already existed. And again, that's that break. we need to break down those silos. We need to have these larger conversations to bring everyone together. I don't exactly know what that would look like or how to make that happen, but it is what needs to happen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. 
Check the episode notes for links to the books, reports, articles, and other media we discussed today. You can find more episodes of Spatial Reality in your usual podcast spots. Leave us a review if you enjoyed today's interview. And so you know, I'm always looking for more experts to talk to. So hit me up on LinkedIn if there's anybody you'd love to hear from. See you next episode.